Alright. Hazard cars. So, uh, this is my first sermon, man. Exciting Z. There you go. It's, uh, it's been a crazy week. Um, let me put this thing in my pocket. It's been a crazy week. I, uh, I, I did my first, uh, graveside service. Jeff's been away. Kev's been away. Andy was busy. And, uh, so I had to prepare for that. And, uh, there's a couple of other things that happened. I literally finished the sermon at 11 last night. So I said to Lisa before, when she came in, I was like, the great thing is everybody knows this is my first sermon, so it's not like they're expecting much. <laughs> so it's just amazing how the, um, just listening to those words and singing those words, you know, obviously I'm a little bit nervous, but I was just really singing those words and owning it, you know. And, uh, you know, God carries us through. All he wants is a willing heart. He'll do the rest. So um, Jeff had asked me to do a sermon on evangelism, and it's something I'm really passionate about. Uh, I haven't done it nearly well, well enough as I should have, but I've still shared the gospel many times in my life. Um, I know for myself, as I've said, I haven't done the best job. When I speak to, to other believers, it doesn't seem like things, something that's happening regularly in every part of our life. So I want you to try and see if I can try and qualify and quantify what is the reason that we're not sharing the gospel? And um, what, it comes, what it comes down to is our identity in Christ. Okay, so I'm going to read you a couple of um, stats from the Bonner Group. And the Bonner Group is, they've done over, um, I think it's like more than a million interviews and surveys with believers. So they're the authority on faith-based surveys and interviews and that type of thing, and they really provide some good insight and some objectivity into what's actually happening out there. So here are some numbers around Christians in the USA, and specifically the USA. So 73% of Americans identify themselves as Christian. Uh, 52% say their faith is very important to them. 56% of people in, in Vermont um, agree somewhat that Christ had some sin in him. 36% strongly agree that he had some sin in him. Okay, that's, that's worrying. Um, Christian practices in millennials, and you know, you older people are going, oh, millennials. Let me tell you, it was only 10% that I can remember in terms of variance between millennials and you know, the 50, 60, 70 olds. For most of the studies that were done, there was only about a 10% variance. So, so the older folk aren't doing a whole lot better. But they asked these millennials, which is 22 to 37 years of age, and they said, what is most important to you? And they gave them a list of what spiritual disciplines. And they said, what is the most important spiritual disciplines to you? Rank these, we're giving you seven, rank them in order of importance. So first, um, they said Bible reading. Second was evangelism. Third was prayer. Fourth was worship, so coming to church. Fifth was silence and solitude. Sixth was communion. And seven was acts of service. It's, uh, it's scary. 
So what percentage had actually practiced these spiritual disciplines? And I said, what is important to you? Now tell us how you've actually done in the last month. Okay? So in the last month, this, however many people, this, this demographic of, of millennials, 67% had prayed in the last month. 37% had worshipped, gone to church. 30% had read the Bible. 11% had done some act of service. 10% had evangelized. 5% had silence and solitude. And communion didn't even show up. There wasn't enough, there wasn't enough people going, we've done it. They're like, okay, well, we're not even going to put it on you. So, looking at these surveys, and I've, I was looking at the Barnard group, and I went through a book like this, you know, in preparation, trying to gain some context for the sermon. And, in terms of going, it's all good and well, you know, I can tell you how to evangelize. These are the, these are the Bible verses, but many of us have been in church a, a good majority of our life and we're still not doing it. So what is the reason for it? And like I said, it's identity in Christ. The overwhelming consensus throughout the surveys is that Christians are incredibly busy, okay? They don't have time for God. They don't have time for the, the, the spiritual disciplines of God. And uh, they don't know scripture. But like these, uh, these millennials, they valued scripture. They idolized scripture. They said the number one thing that we believe as a Christian is most important is your Bible. When asking them how many, you know, in the last month, how many times have you actually done it, only 30% had done it. So what the, what the surveys are starting to show is that people idolize the idea more of the Bible of Christ more than what they idolize Christ and, and the Word of God in a relationship with God. So the world is having a significant impact on, on Christians' identity. Their identity is, is much more firmly placed with the culture um, and of the age. 90% of Americans, of which more than half of them are Christian, feel that everyone's religion should leave them with a clean conscience. Okay, there's a lot of Christians also saying this. And what that meant, how they explained that, same-sex marriages, abortion, politics, and other religions. So let's quickly discuss other religions, because this is something that Christians are starting to become more open to. And I'm going to chat on, on the one that's starting to become most prolific that we've seen just in terms of incited violence and so on. So let's quickly look at, at Islam. So Islam is, Islam is considered a, a religion of peace by Barack Obama, David Cameron, the Pope. Um, a lot of these people that, that have some influence consider this a, a religion of peace. So I'm going to read you an article by an Islamist, a British Islamist, and um, his name is uh, Anjim Chaudhary. This is a 2010 interview with CBN. And he flatly rejects that uh, Islam is, is a religion of peace. What he says is, you can't say that Islam is a religion of peace. He said, because Islam does not mean peace. Islam, Islam means submission. Or another, um, another thing that I found out is safety and security but it's particularly for the Muslim. So the Muslim, the Muslim is the one who submits. There is a place for violence in Islam. There is a place for jihad in Islam. And it goes on to explain why he said that. So this, this was an interview of this guy, and it's done by this Dennis McEwen, 
and he did an in-depth study of, of, um, of Islam. So he writes, The Quran contains many peaceful and tolerant verses, and these could well be used to create a genuine reformation, something several genuine reformers have tried to do. But there is a catch. All these moderate verses were written in the early phase of Muhammad's career, when he lived in Mecca, and had apparently decided to allure people. When he moved to Medina in 1622, everything changed. He was soon a religious, political, and military leader. During the next ten years, as his religious overtures were sometimes not welcomed, the peaceful verses gave way to the jihad verses, and the intolerant diatribes against Jews, Christians, and pagans. Almost all books of Tafsir take for granted that the later verses abrogate the early ones, meaning the later ones do away with the early ones. This means that the verses preaching love for are all are no longer applicable except with regards to one's fellow Muslim. The verses that teach jihad, submission, and related doctrines still form the basis for the approach of many Muslims to the non-believer. So what it comes down to is that the peaceful Muslim, and there are many out there, I know many, many good Muslims, they do some great work, I've seen how they've supported um, various great uh, initiatives. So this is not against Muslims, this is against Islam and how it's affecting people. And the, the Muslim that is peaceful and so on, is, he's the half-baked Islamist in the sense of he hasn't applied himself to all of the scripture of Islam. Okay? The ones that really get into it are the ones that start becoming the more extremists, okay? according to this, this study. The Quran's exhortations to the believers to annihilate the non-believers takes up 65% of the whole book. The Quran's obsession with believers, non-believers, unbelievers, disbelievers, misbelievers, ex-believers, etc. reveals a neurotically and unapologetic, insecure, and immature psyche inherent in Muhammad. He cannot bear to be rejected. There are more than 1,000 hostile references to non-believers, and these sword verses constitute the crime of incitement to murder. Here are two. I will cast fear into the hearts of the unbelievers, therefore behead them and cut off all their fingertips. The second one, that's 8.12. The second one, slay the unbelievers wherever you, you come upon them. Take them captives and besiege them, and waylay them by setting ambushes. Okay. So we've got 90% of Americans that are going, you can study or you can you know, involve yourself in whatever religion it is, as long as your conscience is clear. Do you want this guy's conscience to be clear? Because someone that commits himself to, to, this, to Islam is 100% justified in his mind for any act of murder and so on. In fact, they're enticed to do it because of Muhammad. So... Um, you know, we, as Christians, you know, First Peter 3.15, always pre- be prepared to give a defense of what you believe in. And these guys, there's over 20,000 Islamists, Ravi Zacharias was saying, there's over 20,000 Islam disciples that are trained in tearing the Bible apart, in going into, in going into believers' Christians' lives, or those seeking, or whatever the case might be, and going, here is what's wrong with your Bible. And they are better trained at doing that than most of us are trained at actually sharing the gospel, even understanding the word of God ourselves, the basics of the word of God. There's an army of them out there that are doing this. 
And there's others, there's others as well. It's not just Islam. So the Islamist, one of the arguments could be from them, this is where they're getting people, one way, there's many ways, but they're going, well, your God used war and battles and all of that as well. Um, and you saying, you know, ours is wrong. W- what about you? Um, your God went from, from warring to peace. Ours is just the other way around. We've gone from peace to warring. It's a, it's a matter of, uh, you know, perspective. And, and really when you, you know, how many of us could actually defend the gospel or God against that? Because you need to understand how scripture works and you need to understand the God of the Bible to know that that's not the story and that's not the whole picture. And, and you could actually then go to that Islamist who's, who's taking people astray and going, let me, let me tell you, and this is why many of them are converting, by the way, when they do convert to the Christian faith. When you show them the whole picture and you say, the God of the Bible, he had to signify himself as the God of the universe. He, there had to be something. He couldn't just come in and go, I'm God. You know, you should all follow me. There had to be a way. So he used the small little nation called Israel, who was his voice. And yes, he did use some war. And he did use battles. Because he showed that he could do the impossible, or the possible through the impossible. That's the story of God in the Old Testament. He signifies himself as the God of the universe. But what he then does is he goes, you are so lost, I love you so much, that I'm sending my son to die on the cross for your sins. So that you may have peace, and a peace in eternity. All right? the, the Islamist, his God, goes, I was peaceful, because you don't believe in me, um, we're going to slay you. If, you. if you can't believe in me, we're going to slay you. Which is, the, which is the religion of peace? You know, Islam is not the religion of peace. God of the Bible says to the unbeliever, love him, love him, love him. The Islamist says to the unbeliever, slay him. All right? And it's just amazing to see those, con- those, those comparisons. But how many of us actually have that objectivity where we could defend the God of the Bible? Because we even have a little bit of that insight into, into that. So, let me just quickly go back here. You'd swear this is my first time I'm doing this. So, out of those, out of those, um, out of that survey, 90% of the people, 73% self-identified as Christians, and they're saying everybody should have that, that clear conscience. And, uh, you know, these guys are so, so steeped in Islamist that, that for the believer, there should be an, en- an envy in a way. These guys find the identity in Islam. What I'm seeing, what's happening with the church, what the, what the stats are showing is that Christians are finding the identity in the world and, not, and less and less of God. We find our identity in the universities that we went to. Almost every single person I chat to, what university did you go to? What, what school did your kid go to? Um, you know, what, what is your job? Whatever. And these are all things. I mean, these are, these are things that are part of life. Absolutely, absolutely useful. But what's scary is that people are starting to identify, oh, you're from, you're from northern Kentucky, or you're from southern Kentucky, even worse, you know, uh, or you, you're, from, you're from the west side? Sheesh, man. Babe, we shouldn't invite them around, they're from the west side. You know, people are starting to put a value and identity on the things of this earth, and they're placing people in those boxes. And we're starting to, through this 
identification process that's happening, and it's because we don't have our identity firmly planted in Christ, the things of the world are starting to define our identity. And this is where this misalignment is starting to happen. So, you know, in terms of that identity, when we see that 73% self-identify as Christians, of that 73%, 52% were going to church at least on a monthly basis. 30, 30% reading the Bible, the Bible, 11% acts of service, 10% evangelizing. So we identify, identify ourselves as Christians, but our lives and the statistics show we love the idea of being a Christian more than what we love God. We love the idea of, of reading the Bible more than what we, we, we own and love that it's God's word and that it has the ability to influence us and impact us and change our lives. There's, you know, one of the, one of the books, Sky Jathani, we, we went over with, um, last year. Incredible book. Uh, like, I, I'm doing, I'm glad I'm doing it again. I'm in a, in a leadership collaboratory and uh, we're going through this book. But we were doing it for, for Life Group last year, and I almost went through it just so I didn't look like an idiot in the class. You know, it's like, okay, quickly read through, and just so I know a little bit of what's happening in there. But if you really read through it, and he explains these postures that Christians tend to have a bias towards, and, and one of them is a life over God, and that's maybe the one that I may be more biased towards. All of us are biased to one, but it's this thing of, and, and, and I'm cognizant of it now, and I've seen it in my life, and I've seen, I start looking at Scripture, and I go, I know the rules, and I know the principles in Scripture somewhat, not, not near as, as well as I should, but those are my guidelines through life. And, and he asked another pastor of a church, he said, in your church, with the focus that you have on these guidelines, and it's starting to become all about the guidelines and the principles, he said, if you had to take God out of your church, would you still need him, or are you just so disconnected from him that you have these guidelines and so on, but you don't have a relationship with him? And that's what's starting to happen. So I think we should introduce a new word to the Christian language. That's a cool sound. <laughs> so the word is predilection. Predilection. I looked up this word, and... It, the word says it's a feeling of liking something. This is what the Christian's starting to do. It's, it's going, we love God, but we love the idea of God, and we only we only prepared to conform X amount. Starts becoming inconvenience, whatever the case might be. So, you know what what that would look like is many of us or the church we're seeing should 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 introduce this word into their vocabulary. Someone says, you go to church? Yeah, yeah, I go to church. Wow, um, what, is, what is your faith? You should go, well, I'm a predilection of Christianity. Because that way, at least if, you know, when we mess up, we've got the self-righteousness, and we've got some of the works in that, and one year we're on, and one year we're off, whatever the case might be, they at least know where we're coming from. You know, that we're only buying into it so much. And uh, the conversation would be, um, so, so what, what is your faith? Well, I'm a predilection of Christianity. Um, wow, that's amazing, because they don't know what this predilection is. Where, where did you study? To which our response should be, the world. 
to which their response might be, don't you guys study the Bible and follow that Jesus Christ thing? And our response should be, we, yeah, we do, but love the idea of it more. And I know what, what, what I actually do it. And uh, that's the survey and the statistics are showing this is what's happening in, uh, in the Christian life. You know, and I'm not, I'm not preaching here self-righteous, guys. I've got, you know, I've got a broken past. But praise God, you know, that my identity is not in my past. My identity is not in myself. My identity is in the Son of God. And my identity is in the righteousness that Christ imputes on me when God looks at me. That's what my identity is in. And I find, I think we, we look through these predilection lens that, that we have. We, it's half world, half Bible. And we start, that's why there's such a disconnect between service in the church, acts of service, evangelism, reading the Bible, a relationship with God. Because we look at this, we look at, at our Christian walk and we're looking at it through the lens of the world in one eye and the lens of the world in the, in the, the lens of God in the other. And our very flesh, we, if we are not walking close to Christ and our identity is not firmly planted in Him, we are going to favor the world. We're going to start looking through that. We're going to just keep enough of, of Christ in us to, to have some identity in Christ. But it's not who we are. Like Adam and Eve, we want Eden, but we want it without God. We want it on our terms. You look at the parallels between Adam and Eve and the fall of man and what's happening in the church today. And the story is the same. Different ending, thanks, thanks to Christ, but very much the same parallels. You know, it feels like it, we, we often, and I've even thought this, like, I don't want to pursue righteousness so much because then I stop having fun, you know. There's, the, the fun of life starts going out of it. Let me tell you, when I've pursued God with all that I have, and I, and I make Him my way of life, there's a sweetness, the saints, there's so many of the saints talk about it, and there's the sweetness that comes with walking with God. And you cannot explain it, man. You, you will not know joy in your life, complete, total joy that transcends all understanding. Philippians talks about peace. Well, this is a joy that transcends all understanding. That's the very fabric, it's the lens that you look out of, that when life isn't going well, it doesn't matter Jesus is my rock, and that's all that matters, identifying that. So when, when something goes wrong in the world, and it's your job, or it's your family, or it's your wife, whatever the case might be, if the lens that you're looking out of is not Christ, if that lens is taken away, if the lens you're looking out of is this predilection, that's, that's my family, or it's my business, whatever the case might be, if something happens to that, you don't know what your identity is anymore because the thing that you've identified to is not there. It's not solid. It's not firm. And I've spoken to some South Africans or some, some Americans and other people around the world about South Africa. A question I often get asked here is, like, what, are, what are some of the observations? People are always curious, you know, and it's, and it's great. I've had some Americans go, you know, these are some of the observations that I made in South Africa. And they were so true. And I'd never thought of them like that. And I was like, wow, that's, that's insightful. That's objective. And the very fact that I couldn't see those things was that I self-identified my, my culture, things within like, the town that I come from, the sports that I enjoyed, whatever the case might be. There's been times where I've identified myself or I only look out of that lens. 
And when you're out of, the, when you're looking in that lens and you're so, you're so steeped in, in a certain culture, you actually cannot even understand that culture. It's an irony. And the only way you can gain that objectivity right now as a Christian, the only friend that you can have to give you that objectivity, or the only way you can have that objectivity is the Bible, reading the Bible. The friend to come along that gives you the objectivity, well, that's the Holy Spirit. And he does a great better job of, of not being biased. You know, he can provide a fair and objective opinion. So the study shows that people in our time are more confused, conflicted, and unhappy than ever. And it's because of this, this identity that's, that's been lost of who we are in Christ. This country, many countries, were formed on the identity that this, this is a country that stands for God, whatever the case might be. And, and what's happened is the, this dissolvement of, of the Christian identity that's happened has started creating a vacuum, and it's opened up another, another cause where so many people are searching for things, other religions, they're wanting to know what their identity is, they want to feel self-fulfillment, and it's starting to create this vacuum, and it has created this vacuum of everybody searching, searching, but they don't know what they're searching for. And if you take a look many hundreds of years ago when, when it was all about God, just look at the order and the peace and so on, for the most part, that there was. When you start taking away God, you start creating disorder. As a Christian, if you do not have enough God in your life, there's going to be disorder. You're not going to have perspective. You're not going to know your identity. You're going to identify yourself as a Christian. But uh, it's a misplaced identity to, to a large degree. So if all of those things are the problem, if our identity in Christ is the problem, and this is why we're not living out a life for God, then what is the solution? Well, funny enough, I'm glad you asked. The, the solution is our identity in Christ. Okay? So I looked up the word, the, the root word of identity. And the Latin is identitas. Okay? What it says, what that meaning says is quality of being identical. Mirror image reflecting the exact same thing. That's identity. How many of us, when we identify ourselves in God and in Christ, are reflecting the exact same thing, even pursuing that? All right, and, and that's this is where this misplaced identity is, is is leading us astray. You know, James, I think it's one verse twenty-two that says, "Be doers of the word, not just hearers, hearers only." And so you'll be deceiving yourself. It's crazy how, how God seems to know what he's talking about. You know, we, truly what's happening, even within the church, people, uh, millennials, um, not attending, attending church services regularly enough uh, or at all, or not feeling the need to do that. And acts of service, they, they prioritize that as last on the list. If, if, we, aren't, if we aren't healthy in Christ, and we don't have those, that, that full identity in Christ, there's going to be this, this unhealthy uh, trend that starts happening, and we're seeing that. So to start knowing who you are in Christ, you need to look through the lens of God, which is the Bible. It's prayer. It's solitude. It's time with the Lord. It's fellowship. Lord, move me 
in ways that I can't, I can't, I don't understand this. Live moment by moment. We need to start practicing that. So, we all know the two great commandments found in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. And, uh, 22, 30, 37 to 40 says, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Well, if the great commandments are the air that we breathe in, then the great commission in Matthew 28 is what we breathe out. The, the very identity of the Christian needs to be identified as a disciple. All right, and we're going to get to that now, which is uh, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. So I, I didn't come to realize this up until much later. You know, you, you go, well, it says that we need to be a disciple, but there's only like one verse in the Bible that talks about that, you know, so we don't self-identify too well with that. It doesn't explain really who we are and really make clear our identity. Well, that's not the truth. The Great Commission is mentioned five times in Scripture. Okay? So Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey things I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Mark 16 he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Luke 24, 46-47, he told them, uh, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. John 20, verse 21, and again Jesus said, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then lastly in Acts 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So, this word disciple um, is mathetes. What it means is learner and pupil. Um, The teach, which is in the, the King James. The King James in Matthew 28 doesn't use the word disciple. It uses the word teach. Mathetuo. Sounds like something from a song. Um... And what that means is in, in transistively to become a pupil, transistively to disciple, that is enroll as a scholar, be a disciple, instruct, teach. So the very word disciple means up and down relationship. There, there's a relationship with God and we need to be learning. And then we, there's a relationship with people below us and we're teaching them how to be disciples. So the very Christian, when you say you are Christian, and you say you are a disciple because those two are virtually the same thing. When you identify yourself as a Christian, you need to be saying, where's the down? Where's the out? Because if you look at the Bible, everything about the Bible screams and shouts, Jesus Christ. When you look at Jesus Christ, everything about Jesus Christ shouts us. Everything he did was for us. As Christians, how are we following that example? There's a lot of the in, but where's the out? So, you know, Ravi Zacharias, in terms of this discipleship, he says that the number one thing that haunts him in his last 47 years of ministry, the number one thing that haunts him is not focusing enough on discipling. 
And he says the reason for that being is that when, when the new believer or the person that is searching is searching and they don't have those answers um, completed for them, they, they have not been formed of those things that they are searching for, they start making their own way out of the church or it's been a bad experience, whatever, they feel like they have a been there, done that attitude. So they've tried this Christian thing, it didn't work, but no one was there to guide them. And they now, he says that, and it's been his experience that they put in a worse place than what, when you found them. Because they've tried this thing, it doesn't work. And the very, Christ, the, the very life of Christ speaks about this discipleship. Taking in, working with, working out how to, how to think. The, the words that he uses here, let me try and see. Um, he says it involves time, interaction, teaching, the disciplines of the heart, the mind, your day-to-day walk, how that nearness with Christ is built. That's discipleship. If you look at the life of Christ, that's what Christ did. It wasn't just a thing of, of my word. And that God's word is certainly able to, to pull anybody out of the world. But as the Christian, we need to be taking those people and walking with them. Perfect example, I asked, uh, I asked Ron Toby for permission around this. Ron was telling us about a, a story of how he was mentored. For those of you that don't know, Ron Ron's, was an orphan, at least before he, he came to Christ. Now he's, uh, now he's part of the family. And he was telling us in this leadership collaboratory how there was this man that had taken Ron under his wing. And w- because Ron did not have a mother and a father, this man took him and invited him into his life, and he did life with Ron. When he was disciplining his kids, Ron was around. The way he spoke to his wife and how, the way they dealt with issues in the family and in their lives, Ron was there to observe it. That is discipling. Another way to put it is uh, in, in South Africa, you've got the Kruger National Park. It's the, it's the largest game reserve in the country. And they were having a real big problem with elephants. The elephants were absolutely destroying everything. There was an overpopulation. And nothing can, can destroy an area like an elephant can. The amount that they graze and tear down and pull apart and that is just crazy. So what they decided to do was take these elephants, a population of these elephants, and move them to the Pilansburg Game Reserve. Lisa and I got engaged close to that. Ironically enough, I just thought about it, I got engaged with an elephant. Not with an elephant. <laughs> I used an elephant in our engagement. Sorry, Matt. Not an elephant, my baby. So what happens is they take these elephants and they put them in the Pilansburg Game Reserve but they could only take the smaller ones because the big bulls were too heavy and they tried, they tried to pick it up with, with this um, Air Force helicopter and the very brackets started pulling apart when they lifted up and they, whoa, we need to stop this thing. <laughs> we're going to have Dumbo falling out of the sky here. So they left the big male bull elephants behind and they only moved the smaller elephants. A couple of months later, they started finding dead rhinos and, uh, around the park and they started doing autopsies. Their horns were intact. It wasn't poaching. And when they did the autopsies, they saw that these rhino's bones were broken. There's not much that can break a, a rhino's bones. Came to find out that it was the smaller male elephants that were, were killing these rhinos and, and mauling them to death. They were aggressive and they, they, had, um, they had no one keeping them in check. They realized how elephants work is the grandparents actually discipline the, the younger elephant. And when there isn't a grandparent, then the, the, 
the parent steps in. But they're taking these elephants out. There was not a, the, the, the males, the big male elephants weren't there to help the elephants identify themselves as how they should be acting or teaching them how they should be acting. And they went off and started killing things and whatever the case might be. Managed to get the big elephants into the park within a couple of weeks, order was restored. Stopped finding, stopped finding dead rhinos. The male elephants, we've got a word in South Africa, it's called a clap. It's a good smack. You know, the, these big male elephants would come in and these little, even though they're big and they're, they're strong elephants, uh, when they came up against these really big elephants, they taught them, the big elephants just gave them a good clap. And they, they quickly learned how to, the, the elephants did laugh, the big male elephants did laugh with them. So they, they knew how to, how to act. So I'm running out of time here. Sheesh, man, it's quick when, you, when you're up here. So, quick story. I'd written out a bunch of this, but I'm just going to summarize. There was this guy, Frank Jenner, and he had this, this Bible track ministry. He was a, this guy was thick in the world. He was, he was in, the, um, in the Navy, and um, basically he came to, to Christ in a, in a very traumatic way, significant way. And he made a, a pledge that for the next however many years of his life, he was going to try in some small way to witness to people. And the way he decided to do that was with Bible tracks. So you'll see you've got these, these Bible tracks here, and we're going to touch on that now. But what this guy did, this particular pastor, this story moves from England, and I'm not, it's a cool story, I would have loved to go over it, but this story moves from England to Australia, the Caribbean, India, how people came to Christ. If you do the sums, if there was 10 people a day that he was giving a Bible track to, um, or in influencing in some way, for 40 years that he did this, it's 146,000 people that he had contact with. And what happened was this pastor in this church came to find out about this guy's, guy's ministry. No one around the area even knew him. Everyone thought he was just this loony guy running around. Pastor, through his, through his travels throughout the world, starts hearing about this guy and people coming to Christ through this guy over 40 years. Eventually he goes back to Australia and he goes and sits with this guy and he goes, these are the thousands of people that I've personally heard of coming to Christ through you. This old man... When this pastor met with him, this guy was so old, he could hardly hold his tea cap, cap he was shaking. Old, old guy, at, at the end of his life. He, he passed away two, two weeks after this pastor met with him. And the guy burst out in tears. He said, I've never heard one person coming to Christ through this ministry. And when that guy entered heaven, let me tell you something. They did not know him as a timid soul. He was, he was celebrated, man. His life was celebrated. What it comes down to, and the point I'm making there, I think we sometimes as Christians, we try and own this process of sharing the gospel, where God's word says all you have to do is just share my word, whether that's a Bible track, whether it's through your life, showing people who Jesus is through, the, through your life, being for them, the care that you give them. Those are ways that you can be evangelical. Certainly the better you know Christ's word, the better you're going to be at it. But I think we overemphasize this thing. We, we overcomplicate it. And at its very core, it's Christ. It's not you. So share Christ. Be Christ. Show the world what Christ is through your actions. Best way to do that is relationships. Make friends with, with Christians and be real with them. You know, people want to be real. 
people want to have, there's so, there's so much fake in the world that when people come across real, it, they, it makes them think, it makes them, makes them stop. Um, I've got a young guy I've been discipling, mentoring. He's, he's not in my life anymore. When I say that, he's still living, but um, just sort of gone off. But I was able to share the gospel with him. Um, my, one of my buddies, Kieran, and this is just me sharing some ways that I've shared the gospel. My buddy, Kieran, um, a friend that's thick in the world, but I love this man. He's just such a good guy. One of the best men at my wedding. And he said something. He said, Dave, speaking to me now when he was doing his speech, he said, you know I'm not spiritual, but you don't realize the impact you have on people, and me specifically, through the things that you say and what you do and how you act. Be there for people. I saw one of my friends, uh, not, not particularly uh, too close, have a, have a love for him and so on, but we haven't had the opportunity to be too close. Saw he reached out on Facebook, was, was battling with some challenges, met with him, was able to share the gospel with him. Just be there for people. Um, one of the things we were on, on our trip to Paris, and we were on that cruise ship, and what happened was the morning there was this, there was a lot of people that were, they were on there, they were celebrities in, in a sense. And this one guy had his own TV show, he travels across America and he shows people all these cool places to eat and, and so on. And I was eating breakfast, they came and joined me at the table. I had my Wild at Heart book by John Aldridge on me. And he had to go and do an interview, his wife was left behind. And she's like, what book is that? So it's John Aldridge's Wild at Heart and I explained a little bit about it. And because I was real and I was like, you know, I've messed up and it's just been one of the things, just amazing how God has worked in my life. She's like, you know what, I've grown up in, in the Catholic church and I just have such a resentment for the church and so on. And I know many Catholics, I know some Catholics that really are amazing Christians. Um, but I think as a general rule, the Catholic church hasn't done a good job of, of showing the light and what it is to, be a fi- to, to have fellowship with Christ. It's been more these works-based and I was able to share the gospel with her, comment to me after speaking to her about the gospel and what church really is about. She's like, I feel so light. I want to go to church. I made the effort. I got her number. I sent her three churches in Los Angeles. I made an effort. I, I said, what, what, what area are you in? I sent her three links to really good churches that I'd looked up to plug her in. All I can do is pray for her. The rest is up to God. Pray for people. Pray for opportunities. Go to the same restaurants, coffee shops, develop relationships with people. Um, invite people to church. We've got all these things coming up in the next few days, in the next few weeks. Invite people to those things. So this is, a, this is an interesting story, and I'm going to have to finish in three minutes. I'm not even, I'm not even going to have time to, to go through this. But you guys, you guys need to go through this. Um, learn it, give it to people if you, if you don't know how to evangelize keep this thing on you, start learning it carry it on you in your wallet your handbag, whatever, if you have an opportunity to speak to people about Christ go, hey listen man, I don't know this whole thing near as well as I should, I'm just going to work through this, I promise you no one's going to go sheesh, you, you don't know the gospel but you're a Christian, they have no understanding of those things, you can just, I'm just going to reference this just to make sure I'm doing it right they're not going to look down on you so those are some of the ways that I've shared the gospel. I think when we look at, at our identity in Christ, it explains why we're not doing such a good job of sharing the gospel. Find your identity in Christ. And uh, in conclusion, because we're about 10 minutes over, 
clock is ticking, guys. <laughs> I was literally thinking about three minutes. Cheers, Nats, it's three minutes. So the clock is ticking. Truly, it's ticking. There's, there's a time that God has appointed, not even the sun knows. And we, we see how the Islamists are, are good at sharing the gospel, but because they, they've got the identity, even though it's, it's wrong, I believe it's wrong, but they have the identity, and they have an identity, and it compels them to try and reach the world and slaughter people, whatever the case might be. But they do it because of the identity. How much are we doing for Christ? How many of the people out there in the world are we trying to reach out because we know this clock is ticking, because we love God, because the very existence, even if you didn't open your mouth and share the gospel with someone, they've experienced it through the very life that you've lived and you've welcomed them into that. So I want to really encourage you guys, write down three people today who you want to, who you want to develop a closer relationship with, someone that you've got a closer relationship with that you haven't shared the gospel. Make a point of sharing the gospel with them in the next month. Invite them to church. If you don't feel comfortable sharing the gospel with them just yet, invite them to all these things that, that are going on. Just be there for them. So let's close in prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for your word that uh, even when the timing, my timing isn't right, Lord, there's enough scripture that, that's been referenced and there's enough scripture on bulletins and in this Bible track that... Um, it can have significance, Lord. You said your word does not leave you unaccomplished, Lord. It comes back and it's, it's completed its intended use. And I pray that we would focus on your word, that we would find our identity in you, Lord, and, and truly work hard at, at that relationship with you, Lord, that we don't just read the words to, to know the words, that we read the words, Lord, and we seek after you. We try to be conformed to your likeness. We try and think like you, Lord. And by doing so, we'll become useful for you, Lord. And, and we are blessed by it, Lord. And we're so undeserving of it, but we are so blessed by it when we walk close to you. I pray that um, people will be saved through, through the word that was mentioned here today, Lord. And that you'd bless this family in Christ. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.